Welcome to the StatMed Podcast, where we teach you how to study in med school and how to pass board-style exams. Your host is Ryan Orwig, a learning specialist who has over a decade of experience working with med students and physicians. In the third episode of our Uncommon Pathways mini-series, we're back with JT, a former Doctor Study Skills course participant and board's workshop participant who shares his journey to becoming an orthopedic surgeon. In this episode, JT and Ryan dig into test-taking strategies for medical boards. And honestly, like I truly believe, had I not had a system and those rails to stay on, I just would have completely collapsed. And I would have freaked out and been like, man, this is just, this is crazy hard. This is nothing that I studied for. I'm running out of time. I'm going back and changing answers. Yeah. It, it just, it would have been a train wreck. There's a real, yeah, there's a, there's a real nightmare scenario there. Yeah, but about. you know, that... <laughs> Y'all's system gave me the rails to stay on for those seven hours that I was in there taking that test. This is Ryan Orwig with the StatMed Learning Podcast, where we talk about studying, time maximization, and board-style test-taking for doctors, med students, and those in related fields. Today, I'm here with Dr. JT who is going to share some insights into the challenges he faced in his uncommon pathway to becoming a surgeon. So then you did that and, you know, you worked on your stuff for a while. You're not really in contact with us because we give you the tools and set you out into the world to go work on it. Uh, and then you come back and you're like, hey, now I'm ready to really re-engineer my test taking. This is done with our board's workshop. It's very mechanistic. You know, I, I'll talk to somebody and see if it's a good fit for them. And then once they, once somebody like you says, yeah, I want to do this, we don't say, well, let's, let's tinker with your test-taking approach. Let's evaluate your test-taking approach. I mean, the evaluation comes in the interview, and I'm like, is this good or bad? You know, for you, it's like, yeah, it's bad. So what we do is we tear that sucker to the ground. It's like if, if, if test-taking is a house, we're not going to renovate the house. We're going to raise it. We're going we're gonna to flatten the sucker and build our system in its place, Right. So we build the system and then you're applying it to your own questions and really teaching you how to identify what you're doing right and wrong. What we say is we're teaching you two things, how to play the game the way we want you to play it and then be, to be your own trainer, to be your own coach. This unlocks what's called deliberate practice because we're making you, we're using our expertise to graft that onto you so you can use your own, our expertise to train yourself moving forward. So I don't know, what were some of the big insights that you made through the workshop that's really changed your test taking? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with this and this is for anybody listening that's on, you know, it's trying to decide if they want to do this or not. Um, you, you've got to commit 100% to the process. Like it, it's just so yeah, true. If you don't do it, like it just, it just doesn't work because I think you said this at one point to me and I 100% believe it. It's like, if you're coming to StatMed, like you're coming for a reason, yep. if you have determined that your test taking is a big reason for your issues, then you can't carry any of your old test taking habits with you. And it no. really like dug up a lot, a lot of stuff in my test taking that like, looking back, it's like, man, that is so bad. Like, it just, like, why would I ever do that? Like, it just, I was so, I didn't think of test taking as a skill. Like, you know, it's one of those things you hear, it's like, oh, well, test taking is a skill. And I, and I would always be like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. But I did not fully understand it until I started working with you and breaking down what 
what was my process, if you could even call that a process for working questions. It is a process, even like vague, ugly, inconsistent. It is a process. It's what you plug in. But again, I think we think of it as just one large gross motor action. Yeah. But it's actually a very discrete process, and there are patterns that we can see that are both good and bad. And, and at the end of the day, it's behavioral. You're engaging in either negative or, 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 or positive uh, behavioral patterns. I think a lot of us have bad uh, a bad taste in our mouths for test taking because we were a lot of – I know I was taught like this deductive reasoning garbage, yep. like ways to try to outsmart the test, mm-hmm. try to beat the test. And that stuff is just not – not relevant in general, I don't think, and certainly not relevant for medical board exams that are statistically normed and validated. Yeah. So yeah, we get we got to get rid of all that stuff. But yeah. So and and what I tell people is like you might think, like okay, I'm going to take eighty percent of what they say for this process, and I'll get eighty percent of the benefit. I mean, I didn't build it this way on purpose. It's just it's just how it works. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. Yep. For whatever reason, the way this whole thing works is like you've got to have nine. I say ninety five percent fidelity to the system or greater to get the benefit. And again, I'm not. I don't do it to be malicious or yeah. like whatever. It's just that's just how this thing works. I didn't build this because it's what I wanted to build. It's just what I found needed to be built for our demographic, for the the people that come to us that are smart, that are knowledgeable. And they just yep. are not plugging into these questions in a way that's effective. So we have to fix that. So I don't know. What else can you say about it? Go into some of the insights or any other broad thoughts on your test taking? Um, so I, I think one of the things that it does, it allows you to take control of the test. Whereas for somebody like me, I was always at the mercy of the test. Yep. And y'all's process of reading the question, reading the answer choices, coding everything, like it gives you these rails that you're going to stay on, on the test. And regardless of how you're feeling that day or how hard the test is, like if you stay on the rails and if you're consistent and, and if you have been consistent with your process and you know roughly like, okay, this is how I answer these questions and I'm probably going to get about this if I stay on the rails. Mm-hmm. Like it will hold true. And I realized I got to the point with y'all's process and working my practice questions that I had a pretty good idea about every block, like where I would hit percentage wise. Like I I knew at the end of it, it's like, you know, if if I just stay with this process, I know that I'm probably going to hit between 70 and 75 percent of my questions. It's because you trained so rigidly. Like like somebody like you is a lot of fun because – it's just having that hungry athlete that you're coaching and you know you give them like a workout regimen to do between practices or training sessions. Like I know you're going to do it and then some. You know, sometimes you meet people and they're not doing that. But I knew you were going to go and get it and, and 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 drill down and ask the right questions of yourself and of the system. This isn't a magic wand. This is work that you have to do and it's going to really show you a lot about yourself. And it's hard. Like people get really frustrated because – We'll sh- you'll see the mistakes you're making pretty quickly. Yes. And then they don't go away immediately, right? That's the frustrating part because it's behavior change at the end of the day. What you're talking about, though, is a lot of times we take test taking as like an internal locus of control yeah. where it's like our emotions and our fears are, are overwhelming us and consuming us and tearing us apart either in training or certainly on test day. What you were just describing, though, is making the, the locus of control on test taking an external locus of control. It's like, hey, it's not me, it's the system. And I think people that really can put the system between their emotions and their fears 
and the test and use that as a scaffolding to, to hold them and carry them through the test, which only is going to happen if you train with it rigorously, mm-hmm. you know, really holding that scaffold accountable. It's like, hey, it's not me. It's the system. You know, like, like I want to freak out. I want to I want to deviate. I want to dump it. Nope, can't. The system dictates like maybe you make a prediction and you see that option as option A and you want to just jump on it. But that's not the system. The system says, okay, let me think about A, let me weigh it, let me judge it, let me code it, then B, then C, taking each one and putting it on the scale by itself and coding it. Why? Because that's the system. Yep. And those are the rules. And and I think that that's something that you really, really acquired through some blood, sweat, and tears through the training. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I wish... Uh... I wish this was, this was on video and I could like show my stack because I still have them. I have my stack of just uh, of question sheets that I had coded. The trainers, these training tools that we give you. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. The trainers. And I mean, I I don't know. I wish I would have like calculated how many questions. I worked thousands and thousands of questions and they were all through the SatMed process. I, I'll say this too, just kind of as, as another pitch. Like I, I love data. Like I love just like looking at analytics and stuff. And that was, that is that is what this is. Yeah, we turn it into data. Yeah, and you can look, you can analyze like all these like just minute details of like why you missed this question. Like I, I loved it. And so part of it was just in a way kind of fun <laughs> for me to figure out like what what these mental holes I was getting myself into in these questions. I kind of enjoyed it um, to, to some degree. Yeah, we break the, the act of working a question into those three phases, first phase, second phase, third phase, up in the question, the vignette, through the answer options, and then tie breaks. Um, but, you know, what I tell people, and I probably said this to you, is that like any any test taker knows what their decision was. Like I chose A, right? But what people don't often know, certainly our struggling test takers, they don't know about the micro decisions they made en route to picking that decision slash macro decision, right? Man, and and that is what drove me absolutely nuts just because I, I love to know, like, that's just kind of who I am. Like, I want to know exactly why it was that I did that. And yeah. that's one of the things that the video, the first videos that I saw, like that kind of talked about is like, I want to know why I chose that wrong. answer. Like, why do I consistently choose the wrong answer? Yeah. And um, anyway, it, it really kind of gets you into these inner workings of like what you're doing. And I realized that it was, uh, very rarely, like, a, I would say very rarely, but oftentimes it was not a knowledge miss. Well, you would know, you, you would know because you could quantify it. Like it, we will, you turn it into real numbers. You might say like 60% of my misses were test taking misses, yeah. 40% yeah. knowledge. Who cares about the 40% miss those questions. That's not going to get you in trouble. It's the 60% or whatever the you're consistently missing right. questions you shouldn't miss based on what you know. We call those test-taking mistakes, yeah. test-taking misses, right? These unforced yeah. errors. Those are what are killing you. And then I think what you're also alluding to is you're making the same mistake patterns, like handful of mistake patterns over and over and over yeah, again. What exactly. were some of the mistake patterns you identified for yourself? Yeah. So big thing that I realized really early on was, and I feel like a lot of these kind of overlap. So I'll, they do. I'll they do. kind of put some of these together, but like misreading and twisting, um, that was a big one for, for me. Like I, and this goes back to the, the reading process. Um, I would look at it a lot of times when I was going through the test, I would be like, all right, I just, I just want to get this thing over with. I'm just going to read the question and the answer is just going to pop out to me. And if it doesn't, then then I'll go back and really drill in. So I was doing a very surface level 
read of questions. And so I was misreading stuff like all the time. Like I was just going, going fast and you would miss like a key word or a key uh, or just a key point of, of the prompt. Uh, so it could be like a prompt based issue or uh, I would realize sometimes that it was a uh, an answer based issue where I was misreading an answer choice. Yeah, but misreads are often for somebody like you. Like you might read the prompt or the last sentence, you know, the question being asked, and you might you might pick out two words, and then your brain autofills the rest, making it mean who knows what. That's like looking at ten plus ten and being like, well, maybe that plus sign is actually a minus. Like, like the, or, you know, you look at an answer option and again, you look at one word, you might make a prediction early on and look at a word, uh, an answer option that looks sort of, sort of kind of like it. And your brain interprets it as that other thing. These are these misreads that again, people think misread, they think, oh, I missed the word not, or I missed the word except it's so much more nuanced than that. Sure. Oh yeah. 100%. And it, it gets so much into the way that the brain the eye is tracking the, the words on the screen uh, to you using your knowledge. It's actually like when we get into these twists, making square pegs fit in round holes, you know, it's you using the stuff that you know to validate wrong answer choices, often by misreading, twisting, con, you know, distorting the words or something like that, right? Yeah. Oh, a- absolutely. And I, I realized that that was a just habitual problem for, for me. Um, and it just, it it was so, it was just so sloppy. Like I look back and think about that and just how I would, how I'd work through stuff. And it's just, it's just lazy test taking. Um, and it's just not a, and and it's because there was no structure. Like I didn't have, I just didn't have that vocabulary, that, that skill set to employ to the question. And and, I mean, and that's exactly why I was in the position that that I was in. That's kind of what y'all taught me how to, how to deal with. So, and adding structure and adding vocabulary is so empowering, right? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And that's, and that's what turned me on to y'all. I keep going back to this, but when I watched that video, it's like, man, y'all are speaking my language. Like this is because I, what frustrated me was like, I didn't have words to articulate the mistakes that I knew I was making. And so it was like, it was like, Oh, okay. Finally, I can, I, I, I can identify the problem. And once you identify the problem, you can do something about it. And so y'all gave me this lens through which to identify my, my problem. Um, and a big, a big part of that was misreading and then, and, and twisting kind of what the question was asking. And I would realize like I was answering the wrong question. Like, yeah, it was right in my head because that's the question that I was answering, but it's not the question that was on the, that, that, that was on the test. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a big, that was a big, uh, big error for, for me that I realized pretty early on. The other thing too, is like the difference between like partial true, partial false and hugging the familiar. Like, and this goes back to just, uh, again, sloppy, like sloppy reading. Like w- when you're scanning through a question, like you see, you know, you see, oh, well, this is a question about ankle fractures. Oh, I know a lot about ankle fractures. So I, this, this is probably what they're going to ask me here. Or like, this is, this is something that I, I like this concept. And so I, you, you, I realized I would kind of inadvertently, subconsciously, like, air towards like answering or choosing the answer that was the concept that I liked. If that, if that makes any sense. Oh, you know, yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense to me. This is absolutely what people do. Yeah. So, you know, you know, you look at option C and you know more about Mm -hmm. it and it's, it's almost like a cognitive dissonance is happening where you look at the clues, the one clue that fits option C and you ignore 
the other clues. And that's why yeah. it's also partial true versus partial false. Yeah. And you see, so you're, you're hugging that familiar, you know, you're, you're gravitating toward it. And I think you end up using your knowledge to validate that wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, because you're only looking at the clues, either, either the, the concrete clue that's up in the passage that fits it, ignoring the clues that go against it or twisting a clue that's up there to make it fit either by genericifying it, you know, yep. rounding it down, um, or by adding a, what if, or a, but maybe that's not actually there in the black and white print. Oh yeah. And, and again, and this is never stuff you would do clinically. You would never make these mistakes clinically. And that's the disconnect between the test taking and the clinical experience, right? Yeah. That was my experience so oftentimes with these questions. And it's to somebody that doesn't do it. Like, like if I told my wife this, like, and I did, and she just looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just, just, that's just because what I do. It's real. it's really hard though. It's really hard for your wife to understand my, my, okay. So anecdotally here, my wife also, so my wife's a clinical pharmacy specialist in infectious diseases. Uh, So she's an ID clinical pharmacy specialist. Right. And, but she is, the exact opposite of me. She is a she is a bottom up learner like your wife. She was an amazing test taker. She assimilates knowledge on the fly. Um, so she, I, I think it's a mystery to her what I what it is I do. <laughs> I don't think she can possibly. She knows it works, and she knows that my brain is wired like this. If you explain it to somebody who is this from the other end of the spectrum, they're kind of like, "That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing wrong." It's so hard for them to understand. And that's why I think intervention can be hard sometimes because the ones that are really good test takers are often the ones who get handed the chore of helping the bad test taker. But that's like having the amazing athlete help the struggling athlete. You don't want Michael Jordan teaching you how to, I don't know, work on your jump shot or something. Yeah, exactly. Having, and again, too, like talking to you and, and David and working through this, like just, and, and realizing that like what I was I guess having somebody like validate like what I was struggling with, like was, was so helpful too. Cause I just, you know, cause you, cause you're around a lot of people that are just good. Like they're just good test takers. And it was so like, it was just always discouraging for me. It's like, well, you know, I, like, I feel like an idiot. That's like, why can't I get these right? So it, it is good to to talk with guys like you who really know this stuff and have seen it for 15 years. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's real. Like people, people do that. And like, you're not crazy. That's really interesting. I don't know if I've thought about it so so specifically though that you're especially where you are in your field surrounded by all these these amazing test takers. So I think like it's like they are looking through a clear glass window and being asked to read the the, the piece of paper like the eye chart on the other side of the of the clear sheet of, gla- of glass. And you are looking through a muddy sheet of glass, the bad test taker. They're you're being asked to to read the sheet as well. And it's like this unfair imbalance. Like it'd be like if we could see this this pane of glass, clear versus muddy, it'd be obvious. Like, hey, it's unfair what we're asking JT to do here. Yeah. yeah. But since we don't know, this is just a metaphor. It's like, why doesn't JT read the chart as well as we do? Right. Right. And I like this idea. Yeah. I think sometimes people wonder how David and I can be so incredibly good at this. We're not medical professionals. You know, we haven't spent time in med school. We are reading and learning specialists. So people are are sort of like, how, how do they do this? It's because we have yeah. this profound expertise in the way the reading and, and learning works. And we've just worked with only med students and physicians and, you know, related fields who have struggled. So we understand where these interventions are and we understand the constructs like the, the USMLE, your specialty boards and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. – Really interesting stuff there on the test taking. Then you have a little bit of a broader. You had one more point on on test taking and test day, maybe that the the workshop helped you with as well. 
Yeah. So the uh, just the overall time management concept. So I always had a fear of running out of time on the test. And I never ran out of time on, on tests. But I always had this fear like, oh, I'm going to run out of time on the test. And so what I would do, and I realized in y'all's process, I realized that I was working the test too fast. And so that led to all these problems like misreading, twisting, and, and, and looking for the easy, the path of least resistance on these tests. And that led to, you know, bad, bad results. And so I would fly through these tests. And like, if I got to a question that like I struggled with, I would be like, okay, well, I'm probably going to have time. I'll come back and look at this again. And you would mark something and it'd be like, oh, OK, well, just in case I don't get back to you, I'm going to mark this. And so I would like mark questions on my test uh, on like old tests. So I would have literally if it, if it was a, you know, in training exams, I don't know, like a 200 question test. I would have I would have 100 questions marked. I mean, it's just crazy because I like had this thing. Like, oh, like maybe if I go back and maybe it'll be maybe this will be like later on the test. I'll find an answer that could help me with this. And. So just all these things. Ugh. Yeah, you know how I feel about all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I realized that I was, and I knew this about myself. I knew that I changed answers. And my wife would always say, don't change your answer. Like, never change your answer. Um, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't mentally do it. And it took me working through this process and realizing, oh, like, I'm going way too fast. I'm not reading the questions correctly. Like, I'm not making good decisions on what, answers I'm choosing. And then I'm going back and changing them based on like, and then I'm going back and doing that whole bad process again. So I'm just, I'm making horrible decisions on the first, first pass of a question. And then even worse decisions on the second pass of the question. Yeah. It just total, just total disaster. It's a train wreck. There's so many things wrong with that. Yeah. This is why I say like, you have to stick with the process. And so having that formula for every single question, it's like, First thing you do, read the prompt. Second thing you do, go back, read the body of the question. Then you work through each and every answer choice in a systematic way. You code it, and then you look at your codes, and then you're like, okay, what's my high code? Boom, move on, done. And then it allows you to forget about that question. Like I never put it to bed. Yeah, and I, and that's I would realize that I would keep these questions hanging around in the back of my head. By the end of the test, I had like a million different things flying around my head and like like you said i have no elves so like there's just it's just this maelstrom of of information yeah and so what what this allowed me to do you pick your answer and you move on you have a clear head and the mental capacity to work the next question and so you just systematically go through these and my, I realized my test taking really slowed down yeah but it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing i ended up still finishing with plenty with with plenty of time on my practice questions. Well, we make you train with time and that's a big part of it, right? Really using the the splits, the compartmentalization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that you learn how to operate in that sort of pocket space, right? Yep. Man, and that was that was huge for me because I never when I would work questions, I would always like I would work them on untimed tutor mode or sometimes I work them on time tutor like just again, there was there was no system. There's no reason for what I was doing, and using y'all's process of of saying like, okay, this is how you're going to do it. Like you have to recreate the test taking environment. You practice how you're going to play, and I had not ever done that consistently. Yeah, no, that's that's big deal. 
through that, through that process, you know, I, I realized it's like, you know, I'm actually, if I just stick to this process, like I'm finishing with plenty of time and I feel good about it when I'm done and I'm not going back and changing questions. And so it is amazing how I would still do it from time to time, uh, you know, throughout the process, wish I actually like got these down and like actually got the stats of like what percentage I changed the answer to and got it right. I mean, but it was, it was minimal. Like it just, it never really happened. Like I would usually change it to the wrong answer and I would get to the end of a test taking thing and I'd change an answer and sure enough, I'd miss it. Like, yeah. why did I change that? Like, it, it's crazy how, how it works. But there's patterns. Usually what happens when somebody changes an answer is they go back and they see one phrase, one clue in the passage that fits a different answer option. That That's your confirmation bias. And yeah. Boom. Or, you know, you've twisted something or something like that. There, there are usually patterns to it. Um, people call me and say, you know, like one of the things I, I ask them is, is time a problem for you? And somebody like you might say, no, time's not a problem for me because I get through with plenty of time left over. And I would say, no, time's a pro- possibly a problem because you're going too fast. Time cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. If it's too slow, maybe somebody's just hemorrhaging time, doing a bunch of bad things, the way you're reading it loosely, then coming back and reading it again, all that stuff. But you know, you really internalize one of the key principles of our system, which is you will never get as clear and clean and comprehensive of a look at a question as the first time you read it. And the idea is that when you're done with it, put it to bed, even if it's like, you know, between question marks or minuses, you're not a hundred percent sure. I don't care. Pick the best answer. Yeah. 100%. Put it, pick it and move on. Yeah. I mean, this idea of like doing a 200, 200 question test and having a hundred flagged questions that cannot feel good. No, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And to your point about looking at every question like that, one, the way I thought about it's like, you got to treat every question like in a vacuum. Yeah. And there are some things and you know, they will tell you this question builds off of the last question. And you know that, and you, you, you accommodate for that. But in general, sure. like, you got to treat every question in a vacuum. And then on top of that, you got to treat every answer choice in a vacuum. Yeah. And something that, that I was doing as well, I, I would do comparative coding oh, like, yeah. off of an answer. And I'd be like, well, you know, this one as compared to that. Like, and that's just, that's bad. Yeah. I don't know why it's so bad. I just, there are some systems that are out there and it's all about comparing options against each other. My theory on it is it must overload that working memory in some very specific way. I tell people, it's just bad. Just don't do it. And this is all built into the system, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I realize that I, I do. I have a very short-term working working memory. And I yeah. think that just that uh, that hurt me a lot. And I think this that just speaks more to what I've realized about myself. It's like I'm just kind of a – I like concepts a lot. And so I think people that are conceptual tend to have – shorter working memories. I mean, I don't know, you may could speak more to that, but I, I found that for, for myself and that really, for you, for sure. Yeah. And that really hurt me on, on tests was that just this, this working, this idea of, of working memory. Um, yeah, it, it really, yeah, it, it was a problem for me. And this, y'all system really brought that home and it gave me the tools to, to fix that. So. Yeah. You worked through this stuff for about six months while in the last year of your residency. And then you took your test a few months ago, right? Yep. And, and what, what happened? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I passed. Um, and it was, 
yeah, getting getting that getting that email was uh, was was one of the greatest. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest days of my life. I'm surprised you didn't hear me screaming wow. over 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 in West Virginia because I was so excited. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it was it's such a huge relief. I mean, it, it was a validation of five years. You know, it's just kind of that you hate to say like, man, dodge the bullet of, of failing a board, but like you know, it, it is. It's just such a relief. You don't know it happens. It's like, man, I'm I'm so glad that I never have to worry about a standardized test ever again. Wow. I told you the other day, it's like I've watched more college football in the past two months than I did in the past five years, just because for me, at least, it was always just the source of anxiety. It's like, man, I've always got the OIT coming up. Like I probably should be studying, you know, and, and you'd spend two hours on, on a Saturday, like reading, reading stuff. And, you know, you just don't have that, like have that pressure gone and be able to like just you know, enjoy, enjoy things without having to worry about a standardized test. It's, it's awesome. So, yeah. You, well, yeah, the, the, the two hours you had to do the work, but then even then the four hours when you're watching the game or sitting down to watch a movie or whatever, you're even still like, I should be studying Yeah, this, this constant, it's like, like chronic pain. Yeah. Like this yeah. constant nagging yeah. <laughs> yeah. issue that's always <laughs> seeping away or, or like, like how present are you with your wife? Is it one eye on the book or 20% of your consciousness feeling bad about it? It's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. You can focus on being a professional. You can focus on your career. You can focus on the other aspects of your life. And it's a it's an amazing thing. What were you telling me about like the success rate, fail rate of this this year's ortho? Yeah. So one of the things that that they tell you, there's a big review course that most residents go to. And one of the things that they really harp on is like, look, there's a really high pass rate for the, for this test. Like 97% of y'all will, will pass, like basically saying study, but don't worry too, too much about it. Um, and, you know, I, I heard all that, but I was like, you know, I'm still going to study, study like crazy. Um, so the last year, uh, the, the failure rate for all test takers. This is prior, the year prior to you taking it. Yeah. Yeah, correct. The year prior for all test takers, meaning people that had were international graduates or were retaking again, it was, it was nine, it was 9%. And for this past year, it was 14%. So it was a pretty big jump. And I knew like, I, I haven't talked to the guys that took it last year. They were like, you know, it's fine. There's a lot of very reasonable stuff. A lot of the questions are really easy. Well, that test, I, it was without question. It was the hardest test that I have ever taken in my entire life. And everybody this year and, and kind of talking with people, other other guys that have took it, they're like, man, that was really, really hard. Uh, it was an exceptionally difficult test. And I left there thinking, man, like I, I really was worried if I, if I passed. But the actual day of the of the test, though, I looked at the first question and I, I was stuck on that first question for like three minutes. And I was like, my gosh, like this is this is brutal. And that was that was the story of that of that day. I finished almost every block with a minute or less than a minute left. I stuck to the system. I mean, I was really freaking out about my time at that point. I was like, OK, this is time really is a problem here because the prompts were very, very long. There was a lot of images that you had to feed into the question. And I was like, this is a real problem from a time perspective. I remember like I just heard your voice is like stick to the system. Yeah. And that's what I did. Like I, it did not matter how close I was. It's like I'm going to write down. I'm going to code everything. And that's that's what I did. Uh, I stuck to the system. And honestly, like I truly believe had I not had a system and those rails to stay on, I just would have completely collapsed and I would have freaked out and been like, man, this is just 
this is crazy hard. This is nothing that I studied for. I'm running out of time. I'm going back. I'm changing answers. Yeah. It, it just, it would have been a train wreck. There's a real, yeah, there's a, there's a real nightmare scenario there, right? There's a real what if nightmare scenario there that yeah, you want to think but, about. Yeah, but you know, that <laughs> y'all system gave me the rails to stay on for those seven hours that I was in there taking that test. You know, you just, every question, you treat every question as new, you code it and you just go through the system and you just stay, you stay with it. And it paid off for overall test takers. Yeah, it was like a 14% fail rate, up 9% from the previous year. And then for first time test takers, it was last year, it was a 3% fail rate and it was an 8% fail rate this year. So it was just a, it was a very, very hard test for, for whatever reason. And I, again, I really think I would have been <laughs> that statistic. Man, it's... it's... Had I not had a system to to stay with, so well, you you definitely took what we taught you and you drilled down and you you worked it to the bone and and the payoffs are are pretty amazing. Yeah, just to be just to not have this test hanging over you, uh, and it, it, look these things do happen to people, but you you cleared that hurdle and it's quite exciting. I'm glad that you could have my dry monotone voice droning on in their ear as they're taking it out. I'm like, you know what, glorious. Yeah, it, it, it works. It works. It is. If, if there's one voice to hear, like it's, it, it it's yours. In that, in those tests, so. That's right. <laughs> that's, it's a weird, that's a weird thing for me to hear and say, but yes, I am fine with that as, as the cost of doing business. Well, Hey, uh, I really appreciate as this, we ran long as, as we always do on these things. I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing this story with us, uh, we might get you back on here again. And we might talk about some of your story on how you got to where you were in med school and, and, and some of your thoughts on mentorship, which I think are really exciting and interesting. So thanks again for coming on here. And thanks, Ryan. Yeah, this was great. We'll be back with some more conversations here in the following weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the StatMed Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can find more test-taking and studying strategies specifically designed for med students and physicians over at our blog at statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.